With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver, and ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the playoffs are upon us. We have finally made it to the final stage of the NFL season. My man Patrick Brown in the comments here, he says, let the NFL postseason chaos begin. Absolutely, Patrick. I will predict five of the six. I'm going to wait for Cowboys Buccaneers for Monday's show since that's the Monday night game. But the first five postseason games, all of which in their own way, outside of maybe one, if we're being completely honest, uh, I think it's fairly obvious which one it is. But at least four of the five are highly compelling. In some instances, instances even you could even see the game favoring the underdog. Just matchup-wise. Weather being a factor, coaching, experience, all the things in between, uh, and really just recent history for some of these teams, which I'm looking forward to getting into later in the show. I'll have my upset of the week if I were a betting man and Bryson's bleak bet. Bryson's bleak bet, I, I hit it out of the park this season. Uh, upset of the week, eh. you know, if I were a betting man, I got the, the, the if I were a betting man right last week, but after that, I, I, it pretty much, pretty much uh, nosedive from there. But I will also discuss... Dak Prescott, there's an interesting little graphic I put together. Spent a lot of time on this about the whole notion that, well, you know, Dak, because they were saying, you know, Jerry Jones said that Dak Prescott, interceptions aren't in his DNA. Well, your DNA can change. Well, if that's the case, and DNA has changed in like literally every single other quarterback in the NFL. I'll save that for my second segment, as well as why Brock Purdy, sturdy Purdy, that is, should be the NFL offensive rookie of the year, despite only starting. Five games for the San Francisco 49ers. Aaron Rodgers talk. We got a lot to discuss. Derek Carr, looking forward to getting to that as well. But I do want to start the show with some breaking news we got about three hours ago. Sean McVay in a move that surprised me a lot, and I think surprised a lot of people, people out there, given the, how it was covered, how the situation was covered. Sean McVay told the Los Angeles Rams, the team, the organization, he is returning for his now seventh season as the head coach uh, in Los Angeles. Obviously, he's been highly accomplished. Uh, he's made the playoffs in four of his six seasons. He's gotten to two Super Bowls, won one of them just last year against the Cincinnati Bengals. And 
There were some reports from Adam Schefter from others about he was possibly burnt out. Uh, the prospects of a rebuild, a rebuild was something that he was not very interested in. And I think that point is what we need to focus on. Could this have been the owner, Stan Kroenke, the general manager, Les Snead, went to Sean McVay and said, you know what? We're going all in this offseason. We had a bad season, only, you know, five and 12, which to my knowledge is the worst record in NFL history by defending Super Bowl champions. So certainly did not live up to expectations whatsoever. Uh, a lot of injuries to Matthew Stafford, to Cooper Cup, to Aaron Donald, really the three best players of your team. And your fourth best player, Jalen Ramsey, had arguably the worst season of his career and could be on the, on the trading block. And you don't have a whole lot of picks. So Sean McVay initially was looking at this like, oh gosh, I don't know. Okay, uh, Cardinals are kind of a mess, but uh, Seattle is very much on the come up the way that they've drafted the last few years in the play of Geno Smith. And you look at, of course, the San Francisco 49ers, and I'll talk about Brock Purdy later in the show, but uh, probably have the best roster in the National Football League, and Kyle Shanahan has pretty much owned me over the last three years, four years, rather. And so he's looking at all those variables. I guarantee you, Les Snead in particular, because Snead and McVay are good friends, that Les Snead went to Sean McVay and said, you know what? We're going all in again this year. It's what got us to Super Bowl 53. Going out and getting some corners, Aqib Dalib, Marcus Peters. Right? Remember some of those, those deals? A couple years before that, they went and got Andrew Whitworth, who ended up winning a Super Bowl years later with the Los Angeles Rams against his former team, the Bengals. I have a feeling that the front office in Los Angeles sold Sean McVay on, we're going for it. And the second thing that I also thought about as well, because Sean, uh, Sean McVay is newly married. I believe he got married last summer. I'm sure he and his, his wife want to start a family. So that's a factor. And we know being a head coach in the NFL is time-consuming just like the sky is blue. It just comes with the job. That's, that's how the profession is. You got to sleep in your office some nights. And you wonder if that came into, into play, but also you wonder about if you're Sean McVay. Okay. Yes, you have the family component, which is obviously a factor. You have the component of, do I want to be part of a rebuild? Which I'm sure a young, bright coach like him does not want to be a part of that. But then I also think he sits back and says, okay, I really enjoy this. I mean, are there that many head coaches, forget the NFL and sports, that are as animated, as antsy on the sideline as Sean McVay is? I mean, you see all those TikToks and Instagram posts of that guy on the sideline having to, you know, yank his hoodie back. Like, hey, stay off the field, coach. Like, he he's just into the game. And obviously, it's, it'd be a situation like Sean Payton where a, a network like Fox or CBS or NBC or somebody or ESPN would hire him. But you, you see all the offers and all the interviews that Sean Payton is getting. He wants to go back into coaching. Like, in his mind, he's thinking, look, I, I enjoy this cush job here at Fox, breaking down games, appearing on all these shows. But, man, God put me on this earth to coach, right? And that's why he's interviewing, even with some of the worst franchises in the NFL. And I think Sean McVay looks at that. He looks at Sean Payton. Who's to say that the two haven't had a discussion? It's very possible. Two bright offensive minds who are both named Sean. I'm just throwing that out there. But I guarantee you Sean McVay sat back and looked at it like, what do I do in my free time? It's the same question, ladies and gentlemen, that Tom Brady asked himself in the 40-odd days he was in retirement. <sighs> okay, this ain't it. I got I to gotta go play again. Like, this is driving me crazy, right? 
And I guarantee you that's the same thing that Sean McVay was looking at. So I am surprised given the reporting around this situation in the last few weeks or so, but I can at the same time see maybe the front office sold him on it. And maybe Sean in his own time is, is like, this is, this is what I was put on this earth to do. This is what I love to do. This is, I've been doing this, you know, since I was basically a kid. I mean, he was on Washington staff. I mean, when he was like in his mid twenties, this is, he's thinking, this is my life purpose. This is what I was put on this earth to do. And plus, you know, there's a lot of relationships he has in that Rams organization with players, with executives, maybe with people who work in the building in Los Angeles. All of those things came into play, and he ultimately decided, I want to be a part of this long term. Uh, it will be interesting to see if a year from now this conversation comes up again. Obviously, a lot of that will be centered on how successful the Rams are in 2023. But I think what this definitely secures, Matt Stafford's going to be there long term. So will Aaron Donald, who we know has contemplated retirement before. Uh, obviously, we know about Cooper Cup. And this is a Rams team that I could see you know, trying to go all in on the draft. But also simultaneously, again, Jalen Ramsey's on the trading block. Somebody's going to trade for Jalen Ramsey. Rams could get a first-round pick. They could get some starters for him, possibly, depending on what his trade value is. But I think this works in the long run for the Los Angeles Rams. I'm glad to see that Sean McVay is coming back. He's a phenomenal coach. He's one of the top five in the NFL. Uh, one of the great motivators, game planners. And uh, and the NFL is better off today now, now that he's officially staying with the Los Angeles Rams. Patrick Brown says the Rams have some salary cap issues to address. Absolutely. Uh, that is part of the reason that they struggled this year because they didn't have a depth. And this is a hard cap league, and it's hard to put a team together when you're paying so many guys. Patrick Brown says even if it means trading Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey to create some cap space, even though Aaron has a no trade clause, he'd have to consider playing for another contender. That's not something I considered trading Aaron Donald, but I mean, that it's something possibly the Rams could look at. Maybe. I mean, I always say there's no player in the NFL. Derrick Henry certainly has an argument. Justin Jefferson has an argument. But there's no non-quarterback in the NFL, in my view, that's more valuable than Aaron Donald. I mean, just look at last year's postseason run as an example of that. He was, he was the biggest reason the Rams won. If we're talking about individually the Super Bowl, he's the biggest reason they won that game. He turned the game around with some of the plays he made the second half when the Rams were trailing. But... For that reason, I mean, again, will any non-quarterback carry the type of cachet and trade value that Aaron Donald will? Who knows? Maybe you could package Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and get a massive deal. I don't know. I don't know if an organization would take on both their contracts. They probably wouldn't. But it's something you could consider if you're the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, but certainly today, I think it's safe to say if you're a Rams fan, I know there's not a whole lot of Los Angeles Rams fans. They've only been there for seven, eight years. But if you are a Los Angeles Rams fan or just a fan of the NFL, uh, this certainly makes them a more compelling team to watch in the offseason and a team that, you know, in the long run, who knows? Very well could be back in Super Bowl contention. Remember, in 2019, year after they made the Super Bowl, they missed the playoffs. Made the playoffs the year after that. Obviously, then did all those offseason deals with Stafford. Went and got in-season guys like Von Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., and they ended up winning in the Super Bowl. So this is, this is a very well-run franchise with a great coach, a great general manager, and in my opinion, one of my favorite owners in professional sports, Stan Kroenke. Uh, and, and not to mention a beautiful stadium, to say the very least. All right, moving on. We're going to stay on the West Coast for a second. And we're talking about Derek Carr. So Derek Carr wasn't, wasn't able to, uh, to put the graphic on the screen here, so I'll just read off my phone. Uh, but on Instagram, he may have done it on Twitter, but to my knowledge, I think he just did it on Instagram. 
Uh, Derek Carr officially bid farewell to the Las Vegas Raiders and specifically to Raider Nation. He said, quote, Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. We certainly didn't have, we certainly have been on a roller coaster in our nine years together. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful and appreciative of the years of support you gave to my family and me. We had our share of both heartbreaking moments and thrilling game-winning drives, and it always felt like you were there next to me. It's especially hard to say goodbye because I can honestly say that I gave you everything I had every single day in season and in the offseason. It certainly wasn't perfect, but I hope that I was able to leave you with more than a few great memories as Raiders fans. Thank you to the city of Oakland for taking us in. Thank you to the city of Las Vegas for allowing us to proudly call you home. Thank you to the organization, my teammates, all my coaches, staff, everyone who has helped me these last nine years in those two buildings. Thanks to all of Raider Nation that supported, encouraged, pushed, and uplifted me at different times along this journey. Raider Nation truly is special. I once said that if I'm not a Raider, I would rather be at home, and I meant that. Uh, if I'm not a Raider, I'd rather be at home, and I meant that, but I never envisioned it ending, ending this way. That fire burning inside of me to win a championship still rages, a fire no man can extinguish, only God. So I look forward to a new city and a new team who, no matter the circumstance, will get everything I have. Winning a championship is what I've always wanted to do and will continue to work towards that. God bless you, and with all love, DC4. So that's Derek Carr's very heart heartfelt uh, goodbye letter, if you will, on social media to the Las Vegas Raiders fans. Um, here's my takeaway. You guys know how I feel about Derek Carr. I think he's one of the most disrespected quarterbacks in the National Football League. I think when you consider the, I, I talked about ad nauseum a couple weeks back when he was benched, just so the Raiders could save some cap space, was that when you consider the off-field stuff he's dealt with, the on-field stuff he's dealt with, we talk about the worst defense in the NFL since he took over as the Raiders starter back in 2014. They have given up 26 points per game in the last nine years. Not going to win a whole lot of football games doing that. Not to mention the John Gruden controversy, the Antonio Brown controversy, the Henry Ruggs tragedy, the Damon Arnett controversy. This guy's dealt with a lot. Not to mention, it wasn't until this year that they got him some legit weapons. Devontae Adams, Darren Waller couldn't stay healthy, Hunter Renfro, who this year couldn't stay healthy, but is still, in my opinion, the premier slot receiver in all of football. And finally, Josh Jacobs had a breakout year in the NFL. But again, could have fixed the defense, had, I think, was it six head coaching changes, seven, something like that, multiple offensive coordinators throughout nine years in Las Vegas for an organization that is in salary cap hell, has had numerous issues hitting on free agents. Five of their last six first-round picks are no longer with the organization, and that one exception, Josh Jacobs, who knows if even he'll be a Raider next year, he's a free agent. So they can't draft. They most of the time, outside of, uh, you know, a few exceptions like Chandler Jones and company don't hit on free agents. They're a coaching carousel waiting to happen. They have bad defenses and they're a poorly run franchise because their owner and general managers, multiple general managers for that matter. And yet I'm supposed to pin this on Derek Carr. That's always been my argument for him. And so now the focus turns to where does he go next? So the background behind it is Derek Carr has a no trade clause in his deal meaning that the Raiders want to trade him to the Houston Texans. He can say, no, I'm not going there, and they can't trade him there. But the Raiders reportedly want to trade him before February 15th uh, due to cap issues, money that they would save getting rid of him. Otherwise, they'll just release him, and he'll be on the open market. So either way, Derek Carr wins. It's as simple as that. Either way, Derek Carr is going to get to choose where he goes. 
whether it be the Raiders choosing and he approving or whether he's on the open market and he get, he's a complete free agent and gets to decide for himself. And there's a lot of teams out there that, that need a quarterback. The Jets have been mentioned. I think the Jets could be a good fit. I, I really do. I, I think certainly he'd be an upgrade over Mike White, Zach Wilson and company. I heard a team mention, someone mentioned Tampa Bay. I mean, I, I could I could see that working. I don't, as much as I love Derek Carr, I still, at this stage in, in Tom Brady's career, I still think he's a little better than Derek Carr, even at 45 years of age. A lot of teams have been floated. I think this one's obvious, folks. Miami. Riddle me this. So, Tua Tungavailoa has been there for three years. In two out of those three, he's had significant injury issues. Not to mention he had injury problems back at Alabama. Hip, knee. Now this year he's had a terrible concussion problem. Three now on the season. Miami's going to, in all likelihood, get boat raced by Buffalo this weekend with Skylar Thompson. And when Mike McDaniel, who, listen, I, I was not a huge fan of the Mike McDaniel hiring. He's proven me wrong. Okay, I was right on Josh McDaniels, wrong on Mike McDaniel. He's, I think he's given, given the instability at quarterback to get Miami to the playoffs. I think it's a pretty good accomplishment. And he's proven himself to be a really creative play designer for that team. All the playmakers that they have, I've mentioned them ad nauseum. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, 2,000-yard receivers, and Gasecki and Cedric Wilson, and, and, uh, and, and that uh, Sherfield guy. C.J. Mostert's been hurt. Looks like he's not going to play this weekend, but he's an excellent running back when healthy, and their offensive line upgraded tremendously over the offseason. The defense is around middle of the pack, but that can improve through the draft, through free agency, etc. But if Derek Carr goes to Miami, Here's what he has. Stability at head coach. Give me one good reason why the Dolphins would even consider moving on from Mike McDaniel. As far as I'm concerned, he, he succeeded year one. He took a team that had not been to the playoffs since 2016 to the playoffs. That's a successful year for Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins, given what the expectations were. We, a lot of people saw them as a playoff team. I didn't. I, I had them just on the outside. But them getting the playoffs is a successful year. Nobody saw them as a championship contender. Even at midseason when they were 8-3, and three, I never bought into them as a title team and they went on that big losing streak. But you've got the weapons for Derek Carr. You've got a significantly, even though Miami's middle of the pack defensively, it's still much better than Las Vegas has ever been since Derek Carr got there. Like in those nine years, I mentioned they give up 26 points a game. They he, Never once has he had a, a subpar defense much less a really good defense. So you have the weapons. You finally, finally have a good offensive coach who can get the best of you. Look what he got out of Tua. Look what he got out of Tua for the time being. You got a guy in Derek Carr who moves better in the pocket, who doesn't have the injury troubles that Tua has, who's got a much bigger arm than Tua, and who has more experience than Tua. I think it works. I know Miami has constantly floated the possibility of Tom Brady. And while I don't think that would be a bad idea, it's a one-year rental. And while I think Brady is better than Derek Carr, the gap today in 2023 is not huge. I mean, it's a decent you know, margin between the two, but it's not massive. And Brady's probably done in a year or two. Heck, he may be done after this weekend or next weekend or after this season, depending on where the Bucs go in the playoffs. 
Fit-wise, in the prime of his career, you get a proven elite, yes, I said it, elite quarterback in Derek Carr. Because, folks, you're going to need that need that in this, this division. Buffalo's Buffalo. We know what they are and what they represent. Josh Allen is, is spectacular. All those weapons, a great defense, and a great coach in Sean McDermott. They've been the class of the AFC East ever since Tom Brady left New England. We'll see what happens in New England. We assume Mac Jones will probably be better next season because he'll have an actual offensive coordinator. You guys know I'm not a fan whatsoever of Mac Jones, and not just on the field, but off the field. But he, expectations are fair enough that he should be better in year three with an actual offensive coach this go-around. At least we hope that'll be the case, Bill Belichick. And then the Jets. Is there ever more positivity or optimism going into next season for a team that won seven games this year than there is with the New York Jets? You've got a remarkable defense with the Williams brothers. Sauce Gardner was just named first-team All-Pro as a rookie. Garrett Wilson, great receiving the outside. Plenty of weapons. Brees Hall coming back. Offensive line's really good outside of left tackle. You can improve at that position, but that's something that can be corrected in the, in the draft. And we know the Jets are going to be aggressive. Woody Johnson, the owner, talked about it. They're going to be aggressive in going after a quarterback. Could it be Rodgers? Could it be Brady? Could it be Carr? But assuming the Jets correct the quarterback problem, the Buffalo Bills are going to be the Buffalo Bills. And assuming that Mac Jones rebounds from a bad second year, that FC East is no joke. Dolphins could very well find themselves in third or fourth place. That's not where you want to be in a division that is trending upward. I think Derek Carr is a perfect fit. I think it works fit-wise, leadership-wise, having that veteran guy who's been there and done that. To me, Derek Carr to Miami makes all the sense of the world. It really does. Uh, even if, even for those out there that like Tua, you guys know I've never been a Tua fan, but even those out there that are sold on him, the one thing you cannot deny, man, he's injury prone. I mean, you, you hold your breath every time he drops back, not just for decision-making purposes, but, man, he's not big in frame. Is he going to take a shot that's going to put him out three, four weeks? You don't have to worry about that with Derek Carr. I think it works. I really do. Patrick Brown says, Derek Carr deserves better. The Raiders failed him. He's earned my respect over his tenure. Not too many quarterbacks would be able to stand before the press and take the darts. Agreed wholeheartedly, Patrick. He also says, Miami is warm weather, plus the incentive is there's no state tax. Absolutely, man. Listen, that's that. That's always been an incentive. It's mostly for professional sports teams, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, for Great pro athletes to go to Miami, no, the no state tax, and that's kind of been the, the the center of it all in that state. But hey, why not? I think it works. I really the, the fit wise, everything it does. Now, let's go to. So I, I'm not going to talk a ton of Lamar Jackson today. Obviously, we got we we, we got we guys. <laughs> I'm ready for the playoffs, guys. We all saw his post yesterday on social media about you know getting ready for. To try and get his body right. He said he's had some inflammation in his knee, which it's good to finally have at least some answers on Lamar Jackson and have a little bit of clarity in terms of what his status is, how the Ravens are feeling about it. It's good to know. Uh, I talked about Lamar at length yesterday. I think the organization has never had a better quarterback than Lamar. I think it's fairly obvious. Trent Dilfer third, Joe Flacco second, Lamar Jackson first. Heck, he's won an MVP for crying out loud. So I won't talk a whole lot of Lamar. 
But he's another quarterback I defend that gets way too much criticism. The guy I just talked about, Derek Carr, is the guy that I've talked about that gets way too much criticism. And the third, certainly not least, you guys know he is, Rain Dakota Prescott. So over this week, going into their playoff matchup on Monday, which again, I won't predict that game until Monday's show, uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, there's been this uh, sort of narrative that's a legacy game for Dak. And I would agree, this is the biggest game of Dak Prescott's career. It is. Uh, obviously, one and three in the playoffs. I think the notion that he's not good in the playoffs has been overblown. I've got the numbers to prove it, which I'll get into in just a second. But it is a massive game for Dak. But what bothers me about the criticism of Dak, and you see it too with Derek Carr, but I guess it's it's uh, inflamed with Dak Prescott. I don't know if it's because he's the quarterback in Dallas. I don't know if it's because he was a fourth-round pick. I, I've tried to figure it out for the last seven years, and I still haven't come to an answer. I just... At this point, I just go with the flow on whatever the criticism is of Dak Prescott. But I think two things can be true. Dak played the worst game of his career on Sunday. He did. Completed 30-something percent of his passes. Didn't even throw for 130 yards. Threw a terrible pick six. Uh, you know, wasn't seeing the field. Well, he was bad. There's, there's, he had a pass rating in the 40s. QBR in the teens. He was terrible. It's the worst game of Dak Prescott's career. But people are using this singular game to make the assumption that he's having the worst season of his career. Jerry Jones, the other day, I talked about on yesterday's show, was talking about interceptions are not in Dak Prescott's DNA. And I heard a whole lot of know-it-alls on, on television and radio say, well, Jerry, your DNA can change. And that's true. Your DNA can change given whatever circumstances that come into play. But... People saying, oh, not only is Dak Prescott thrown 15 interceptions this season. Oh, he threw 13 back in 2017, which to me was the worst season of Dak's career for a multitude of reasons. He threw, I think it was 10 last year when he threw 37 touchdown passes. He threw double digits back in 2019. You say, well, this is what he does. He throws double digit picks. Well, that's funny. If... If interceptions, if the notion is interceptions are in Dak's DNA, then ladies and gentlemen, double-digit interceptions are in every quarterback's DNA. Let's put up this graphic now, shall we? Quarterbacks who have had double-digit interception seasons. So you see Dak Prescott's uh, face on the top left there. So you got Dak Prescott following him. He, these are the quarterbacks, current quarterbacks, who have had double-digit interception seasons. Geno Smith, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, Tua Tungavailoa, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I, I, you know, when you're aggressive, you push the ball down the field, and when you throw a lot of touchdown passes that Dak does in his healthy seasons, you throw picks. You do. Jalen Hurts is one of the only exceptions to that list, and you know he missed some time this year. He was he had he hadn't really blossomed as a passer up until this season. But put that list let's put that list back up on the board here. Here we go. So Geno Smith this season when he was great, <laughs> Geno Smith is probably the comeback player of the year. When you consider top five in completion percentage passing, Geno Smith was excellent this year. He's an aggressive quarterback. He threw double-digit interceptions. That comes with the territory. Matt Stafford led the league, just like Dak, by the way, led the league in picks last year with 18. 
People give two craps about that when the Rams won the Super Bowl. Heck, going into the playoff matchup when the Rams played the Cardinals and the quarterback I'm about to mention in just a second, people weren't talking about Matt Stafford's interceptions. They were talking about he hadn't won a playoff game up until that point. Well, Dak's done that. There you go. Kyler Murray. He's a, he's a gunslinger. He throws the ball down the field a lot. Are there some reckless plays Kyler makes that drive me crazy occasionally? Sure there is. But I think in terms of his remarkable arm strength, especially for his size at about 5'9", 5'10", in cleats. Yeah, Kyler's going to throw picks, especially when he's throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins half the time. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is also a guy who pushes the ball down the field with some of the deep threats he's had. Obviously, Justin Jefferson the last few seasons, but before that, Adam Thielen was their number one guy. That's how it goes. Jared Goff. He had Cooper Cup back in the day in Los Angeles. He had Robert Woods. He had... uh. Oh, shoot, what's uh, a Monterey St. Brown? Now, to Jared Goff's credit, interceptions wasn't really an issue for him this year. You can credit a lot to credit a lot of that to Jared and to Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator who did a great job for Detroit. Very well could get a head coaching job this offseason. Aaron Rodgers didn't throw double-digit interceptions until this season since 2010. And what might you ask, did the Packers do in 2010? Oh, yeah, they uh, they, they, they won the Super Bowl. And Aaron Rodgers won Super Bowl MVP. Because that was the last year that he was really aggressive with the football. Okay, And I'm not saying you should be reckless throwing the ball down the field. You, you should be smart in your decision making. But sometimes you got to fit balls in tough windows because it's the NFL. And, and there's a lot of tight window throws to make. Tom Brady. We've known him as a guy who just sort of take what the defense gives him. He's made a career out of that ever since he's been in New England and in Tampa Bay. But ever since he's been in Tampa specifically, they take a lot of shots. Why? Well, they got Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin, this year, Julio Jones. The last two years up until this point, Gronk. They're going to take shots. Josh Allen. Folks, when you have the biggest arm in the NFL, maybe in the history of the league, you're definitely going to throw picks because you want to show the arm off. I get it. When it's 50-50 balls to Stephon Diggs or to Gabriel Davis, occasionally the ball is going to come down into the defender's arms here and there. By the way, need I mention, Josh Allen leads the league in red zone interceptions. It's not... Your friend, Randy Dakota Prescott. It's Josh Allen. Just throwing that out there. Tua. Tua's going to take shots at Tyreek Hill. Occasionally underthrow Tyreek Hill, uh, which I've criticized him for. But balls are going to get picked, and balls are going to go for 60-yard touchdowns. Boomer bust. Matt Ryan. All those years in Atlanta, we had Julio Jones. A lot of shots down the field. A lot of tight window throws to trying to get to Julio. Or to Calvin Ridley, or to uh, Roddy White, or some of the other receivers he had in Atlanta. Balls are going to get picked. Patrick Mahomes, again, another massive arm, another guy who had Tyree Kill. Travis Kelsey, you're going to take shots. Justin Herbert, big arm guy, take shots. Uh, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, same thing. Joe Burrow's got Jamar Chase. He's going to take shots to him. Lamar Jackson has evolved incredibly as a passer since stepping into the NFL. Thus, he's taking shots from the pocket down the field, and sometimes they get picked. And Trevor Lawrence, the same thing. Now, we, I guess we can ease off Trevor a little bit just because his his one double-digit pick season was his rookie year when he had Urban Meyer as a head coach. So that's, you know, let, let's be fair to Trevor because uh, he did not throw double-digit picks this year. But I'm sort of showing that graphic to say, has Dak had a pick issue this year? Yeah, of course he has. Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. There's no question that it's some. there's plays in, in there that he's got to clean up. I, I've been as vocal about that as anybody. Now, I think 45% of those picks aren't on him. They've been dropped by Peyton Hendershot or by Noah Brown. 
but some of those have been bad decision-making by Dak, whether it's not seeing the field, whether it's not uh, being confident in his line, which, by the way, he has all the reason in the world not to be confident in his offensive line, which I'll get into in just a second. But the notion that this has always been who he is, well, if if that's if that's the, the narrative we're going to run with, then let's not just include Dak Prescott in this mix. Let's include the other guys. Some of those Hall of Fame levels, some of those guys, if they retire today, will be in Canton. Brady, Rodgers, okay? Some of those are the league's best. Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence. You're going to throw interceptions in this league. Do I love that Dak threw 15, 12 games? Of course I don't. But there's a reason that the discussion has even become a problem this year with Dak. Because it's been the one year where he's had a genuine interception problem. But the false narrative that this has always been the case throughout a seven-year career, simply not true. It is simply unfactual. So, to the notion too, unfortunately I did not create a graphic for this one. I hate to, to tell you guys that. But the notion that Dak doesn't play well in the playoffs because he does have a one and three record. That's unavoidable. But that he's not good in the biggest games. Well, let's look at his rookie season. Led the Cowboys to a 13-3 record, division title, number one seed, and faced the great Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs. Dak Prescott went 24 for 38, threw for 300 yards, three touchdowns. That's one more than Aaron, by the way. A pick and a QBR 0 to 100 of 73. A passer rating of 103. And he scored 31 points. I think it's safe to say, Dak played all right in that game, especially going against one of the game's best. And it took a one of the greatest throws I've ever seen in my life from Aaron Rodgers to Jared Cook to set up Mason Crosby for the walk-off field goal. That's it, it took that. It took Aaron Rodgers being at his Hall of Fame level peak to beat Dak. Okay, look at a couple years later. Played Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. Dak Prescott. 22 for 33, 67% completion. That's pretty good, folks. 226 yards, a touchdown, a pick. He did run for a touchdown, by the way. QBR of 72, passer rating of 83. Now, the passer rating isn't great. The QBR is. But didn't Dak make literally the play of the game? Need I remind you, third down and 14, quarterback draw. Dak gets the first down, and the play later scores a touchdown on a quarterback sneak. That did happen, folks, and the Cowboys won the, that game against Seattle because of that. The next game, faced the Los Angeles Rams, who went on to go to the Super Bowl that year. Dak Prescott, 20 for 32, 266 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers, a QBR of 84, which blew Jared Goff's 54 out of the water, and a pass rating of 99. This is not to mention his defense gave up over 200 yards rushing. So Dak barely had the ball in his hands and still put up 22 on the board against an elite Rams defense on the road, mind you. The aberration, the exception, is last year. Last year is not the standard that Dak has set in the playoffs. It's his clunker. Dak Prescott, 23 for 43, uh, 254 yards, a touchdown, a pick, QBR of 32, a pass ring of 69. Dak didn't play well that game last year against the Niners. But that's the aberration. By the way, not to mention on fourth down in a mile, he did make the throw to Cedric Wilson that should have been caught and put the Cowboys in the red zone, but, you know, we're not going to throw that out there. This is who Dak is. And so the notion, too, and I don't want to call out any names, but in this instance, I kind of have to. And it's somebody I have all the respect in the world for, Dan Orlovsky, who does an amazing job at ESPN. 
Like I, I want to, I want to preface what I'm about to say uh, with by saying that about Dan Orlovsky. Uh, does a great job breaking down film at ESPN. Tremendous. He's, I think he's done enough at ESPN to, to make people not look at the infamous play of his career where he ran out of the back of his own end zone for a safety. He's done that good of a job at ESPN. He's done, it, you know, as a college football analyst, as an NFL analyst, he's, he's been great. But he ranked his top 14 playoff quarterbacks. 14 playoff teams, he ranked the quarterbacks. He had Dak Prescott 12th. Here's his list. Do we have it? Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Hurts, Herbert, Lamar, who's not even going to play, by the way. Brady, Daniel Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Geno Smith, Cousins, Dak, Purdy, Thompson. Skylar Thompson. Okay. So, Kirk Cousins, yeah, not to mention... Uh, didn't Dak beat Curzon, Kirk Cousins? Uh, was it forty? Oh, he beat him forty to three. In his building, yeah, I think that should count for something. I'm not going to argue with Geno Smith because Geno Smith has had a better season this year than Dak Prescott. I, I'll give you that. Same with Trevor Lawrence, Daniel Jones. Okay, Dak beat him too, by the way. Uh, Daniel Jones uh, this season as a. Uh, He's got 15 touchdown passes and 3,200 yards. I mean, really? The guy who's never started a playoff game in Daniel Jones, as opposed to a guy in Dak Prescott who's played well in three of his four playoff appearances, and we're going to go with, with Daniel Jones for Dak. Okay? And then Lamar Jackson. I would agree if Lamar was healthy, but he's not. So it's going to be uh, not, it's not even going to be Tyler Huntley. It's going to be Anthony Brown at quarterback for the Ravens. So that's, that. I count three quarterbacks that is great. One, two, three. And I, I'm not even going to argue Geno Smith. Dak Prescott should be no lower than ninth on this list. In terms of the top 14 quarterbacks in this year's playoffs. This is the biggest game of Dak's career. But to paint the picture as if he's not been productive in the biggest games, and to paint the picture that, He's not a great quarterback because he's had double-digit pick seasons. It is simply and unequivocally false. No other way around it. All righty, let's see. We got some comments here. My man Grady Edwards. What's up, Grady? Dak is a talented quarterback just tainted by the Cowboys. I would like to see him get to at least the NFC title game at some point, though, because he does have the roster slash ability uh, to do it, to be fair. I just think he's pressing uh, a little too much this year, trying to prove too much. Uh, and I, he says, I think it finally hit me. Dak is the modern-day Phillip Rivers. And that's not an insult. He's one of those guys who's on the cusp so often and a dude who will be around for a while. Uh, if if Dak had multiple seasons of like 15-plus interceptions, I would give you that because, by the way, I was a Philip Rivers defender. I I always liked Philip Rivers. Like, look, guys, he throws picks. Like, it, it is what it is. Um, I would make the argument though, Dak was more accurate than Philip Rivers, moved better in the pocket than Philip Rivers, and was a better athlete overall than Philip. Uh, and again, I I, I was always a Philip Rivers guy, but uh, again, if you gave me prime Dak and prime Rivers, I'd give you I, I'd take prime Dak, and I obviously agree with you. And I've been making that point in the show for the last two and a half years that Dak has been tainted uh, by the Dallas Cowboys. But uh, and and again, I'm not saying. People twist the notion and the narrative that when I say these things to defend Dak, that I'm saying he's in the class of the Mahomes and of the world, the Allens and the Bur He's not. 
Like he's, he's just simply not. Those guys are in a class by themselves. Those guys, we are comfortable in saying without a shadow of a doubt, if they stay healthy throughout the rest of their careers, they will be first ballot Hall of Famers, win MVPs and Super Bowls. That's not Dak. Dak can win a Super Bowl, maybe a couple. Who knows? Eli Manning won two Super Bowls when he was put in the right situation to do so. But I am saying that, and I've always said this, I think people have a really hard time absolutely putting 10 quarterbacks above him. It's the same argument I make for Derek Carr. But we'll see what happens. It's all going to come down to Monday. This going to be exciting. Probably going to be the highest rated probably going to be the highest rated playoff game ever. Not that that's not a Super Bowl. Definitely the highest rated wild card game ever because you've got America's team versus America's most iconic quarterback. I mean, on Monday night football, like it, it doesn't it doesn't get bigger than that. Like that's I, I can't wait for it. It's it's gonna be very, very exciting. Uh Patrick Brown says, regardless, regardless of the quarterback he has for my Cowboys, there's always criticism. I've always said sports media outlets use Dallas as an extra checks because we all know it's a ratings game. Absolutely. I mean, we know Cowboys, Lakers in particular are are the two franchises in sports. And when we talk baseball, Yankees that are the most discussed, the most talked about. They they bring in, as you said, Patrick, ratings, revenue. Um Grady says, I like Derek Carr, but I don't think he could shine Dak's shoes. So that's funny. So Grady thinks there's, Grady, you think that there's a bigger gap between Dak and Carr than even I do. Okay. I respect that. I, I, I Listen, I totally respect that. I do think Dak's better than Derek Carr. Um, I don't think it's by a crazy margin. I think both need to be put in better situations to succeed. I think they've both been tainted by, in particular, their owners. And in some instances, they're coaches. Now, I can't put the coach excuse on Dak this year. I can't. I think Mike McCarthy's done a solid job. Um, I, I think I think the notion, I know this is going to a whole different segment, but and I've been a Mike McCarthy critic, a harsh critic on this show. I said that it wouldn't have been out of bounds for Jerry Jones to fire him after last year, given how the end of that game went against the Niners, really how the totality of that game went. And, <clears throat> excuse me, how the end of halves and the end of games, how poor Dallas was, in crunch time, in late game execution situations. That hasn't really been the case this year. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For Mike McCarthy. So, he's improved on something that he was, he had a, 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 the biggest flaw in Mike McCarthy. We all agree. Clock management. Having his team ready to go. I think for the most part, that's been cleaned up this year. Maybe not the, maybe not necessarily the having your team ready to go part. There's there's games you can point to, but I mean, point to a game this year where it's like, oh my gosh, McCarthy's clock management. What is he doing? He's 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 you know he shouldn't be the head coach. I I can't think of it. Am I seeing his elite? No, but I don't think he's done so poor of a job this year as to lose his job this year. Last year, different story, but not this year. I think he's done a solid job uh, with the Dallas Cowboys this season. Um, so someone else I wanted to get to. Briefly, just for a few minutes before I move on to Brock Purdy. Because I've been thinking about this Brock Purdy segment for a while. 
is Aaron Rodgers. So Brian Gutekunst, the uh, general manager of the Green Bay Packers, he was talking today. Let me go and pull up the quote here from his press conference in which he was talking about basically saying he had a meeting with Aaron Rodgers recently. And do we have the quote here? Okay, so uh, this is from, from Schefter, of course. He said, quote, Packers general manager Brian Gutekunst told reporters today that Rodgers is going to, quote, take some time to decide what he wants to do in the future. And, quote, I really respect the process he goes through after the season. So, obviously, it's, it's going to be just like the last uh, year, really last couple of years, if you think about it, about Aaron Rodgers' future. Is he going to retire? Is he done in Green Bay? Is he coming back? First of all, if I had to make a prediction today, I think he comes back. I think he still does have the fire still to play the game. you got to realize Aaron Rodgers is, for all the criticisms I've had of him, leadership-wise, um, I, I would like him to spend more time in the offseason with young receivers. I think that's part of what, what what's made Tom Brady so great. I'd, I'd prefer that more from Aaron. But I've never said that the guy wasn't an out-of-this-world competitor. I mean, the, the notion that any of us doing these podcasts or shows or whatever want to win more than Aaron Rodgers is absolutely ridiculous. He's, he's one of the great competitors in the NFL. He loves to win, and like any great competitor, he hates to lose more than he loves to win. So I think he's coming back. I don't think that fire has been extinguished. However, I do think, given the disconnect between Rodgers and the front office and that report, I remember midseason, I think it was after they lost to Buffalo, either before the Buffalo game or after the Buffalo game, in which Green Bay lost to the Bills, that they were starting to, a little animosity was starting to grow between Rodgers and the Packers receivers. Not Randall Cobb, because we know Randall Cobb, Aaron Rodgers are very close. They're great, great friends. You know, Aaron Rodgers is the only reason that Randall Cobb even came back to Green Bay after Dak Prescott, of course, uh, revitalized his career. Anyways, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Alan Lazard, a little bit of a growing disconnect because it's like, okay, well, we're here working our behinds off in the offseason. By the way, probably working a lot with Jordan Love. You're off doing spiritual experiences in the forest. And, and, and you know, obviously we know about the ayahuasca and whatnot and being all philosophical uh, on, our, uh, on us. And then he show up to the season for, for the season after winning back-to-back MVPs and it feels as if Maybe you're resting on your laurels a little bit. And so I think that comes into play for Green Bay. Obviously, I'm not saying the receivers are going to have a say into whether Rodgers comes back, because obviously they're not. He's Aaron Rodgers. He is still a, a very good quarterback. Uh, I think he's more on the average side these days, just given this season he didn't have a 300-yard passing game, and he finished 8-9. and nine. But be that as it may, for Green Bay, and this is why I said they butchered the Jordan Love situation. When they were four and eight, I came on the show the next morning, or the next evening, rather, when they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles and fell to four and eight on Sunday night football. Remember, Aaron Rodgers got hurt in that game. Jordan Love came in for the last quarter and a half and looked pretty good. Moved well in the pocket, had a nice arm, was accurate. Seemed like he had a really good rapport right off the bat with, with Christian Watson. It's like, hey, this, this, this kid's actually pretty good. And I said, this is great news for the Packers. Because you're 12 games in, you got five games to go, all of them against lesser opponents. You see what the kids got. If by some crazy miracle you make the playoffs, hey, that's a bonus. But if he's good, amazing. We have our quarterback for the future. We move on from Aaron. 
If not, we probably roll with Aaron for another season, trade Jordan Love. But now you don't know. Remember, a Packers insider said a couple weeks ago, I remember talking about it on this show, that he had spoken to Jordan Love. It was, it was some sort of Milwaukee sports writer. I wish I could remember his name, give him credit for this. But he had talked to Jordan Love, and he got the sense that if the Packers don't move on with Aaron Rodgers, then Love is going to ask for a trade. Because look, at that point, he'll be three years into his career. He'll started one game, appeared in three, four-ish in, in, in relief for Aaron Rodgers. He'll want to get his opportunities. He's a young player. He wants to get out there, show what he's got, and try and go win football games in the National Football League. Now Green Bay's stuck because there's still the aura of Aaron Rodgers. We still think he can be highly productive in the NFL. What do we do with Jordan Love? Because if we trade him, now what do we do at quarterback? Because we could have our future in the building, but you don't know. So if you trade Jordan Love after this season, Jordan Love goes to wherever and kicks butt, leads his team to the playoffs or something, and looks like the, the real deal. He was a first-round pick for what it's worth out of Utah State. Green Bay looks really dumb <laughs> for letting that talent uh, you, you know, leave, essentially, without really seeing what he had when he had the opportunity to see what he had. So if I'm Green Bay, and it appears Brian Gutekunds is putting the, the, the ball in Aaron's court, which I think is a little bit of a mistake, as we've seen the last two seasons, I'm moving on. I need an answer as to what I am at quarterback. Listen, an argument could be made that in the weak NFC, that Green Bay could run it back with Aaron, maybe take another receiver, uh, you know, add to their defense a little bit, although their defense did play very well down the stretch of the season over the last five games, and then run it back, see what you got. Good chance Minnesota's not going to win 13 games again. Chicago's a mess. Uh, Detroit is going to be the come up. They're going to be a problem. But I'd, I'd move on. See what you got in 2023. Have an objective and a mission that you have a much greater chance of completing uh, with Jordan Love as opposed to trying to win the Super Bowl with a guy who, A, hasn't done it in 12 years, has played bad when his best was expected, and called upon in the last 12 years in the postseason, particularly at home, and is getting up there in age. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No play to the youth of the team. See what you have in Jordan Love next year, which you should have done this year. And then, then you see what happens. Patrick Brown says it will be the same soap opera with Aaron Rodgers. He'll use the what have you done for me lately. If Nathaniel Hackett returns as the offensive coordinator, Aaron likely returns. We shall see. It's, by the way, good point by, by Patrick. There are reports that um, now former Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett could come back to Green Bay as the offensive coordinator, uh, which, you know, as we found out in the long run, the only reason that Aaron Rodgers was so praiseworthy of Nathaniel Hackett was not because he called the plays. That was Matt LaFleur's job. It was because he liked throwing darts with, with Nathaniel Hackett. So he was just kind of a he was just kind of a buddy. 
more than a coach. Patrick Brown, Aaron is holding the Packers hostage soon as Burrow or Herbert get their astronomical contracts. Aaron will use that as leverage. It'll be a prequel of this saga. We'll see. I mean, I, I know, gosh, was it Mark Murphy, who's the president of the Green Bay Packers, who said after Aaron signed that big long-term deal where it was like three years, $150 million or something like that, so $50 million a year contracts, he said, this is not a three-year contract. This is three one-year contracts. We're taking this year by year, one at a time, see what happens the offseason, given what happens during the regular, and then if you get there postseason, which obviously Green Bay did not get there this year. I just think they butchered this from the get-go. They butchered this by not playing Jordan Love after the Philly loss. And now that they made the playoffs and they have nothing to show for going for the playoffs, now they're stuck. So my answer... Move on from Aaron. You could get still a, a crazy trade package for him. See what the kid's got. If he doesn't have it, at least you know he doesn't. And then you try and find a new quarterback. I mean, it's not like finding a quarterback is a, and it's, by the way, it's the hardest thing to do in the NFL, obviously, is find a franchise quarterback. But it's not like it's something that Green Bay is totally incompetent at doing. I mean, they do have two of the best to ever do it in Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. So, we'll see. But, uh, something I did want to talk about was, you know, talking about Aaron Rodgers, it happens to be involved with the team, his 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 boyhood team, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Rodgers is a Bay Area kid. Uh, isn't that funny that both Rodgers and Brady came from from the Bay Area, from San Francisco? That's, I've always thought that's kind of cool. And fun fact, I always say in this show that Tom Brady was in attendance at the 82, I think, NFC Championship game when the late great Dwight Clark made the catch, as we all have come to uh, to, to, to know that, that that play as uh, from Joe Montana, which basically kick-started the 49ers dynasty. They beat the Dallas Cowboys. They go on to win four Super Bowls in the 80s. And, and Tom Brady was in attendance for that uh, sort of passing of the torch because the Cowboys had been not a dynasty in the 70s. The, the Steelers were the, the, the dynasty of the 70s. Cowboys ended up having our own dynasty in the 90s. But Dallas was certainly dominant. In a long stretch of making the playoffs, Tom Landry, we understand uh, who he was and what he represented as a coach. And they were as good at evaluating talent and drafting that uh, said talent as any team in football. But sort of the changing of the guard, where the Niners you know, got four Super Bowls in the 80s, and by the way, got one in the 90s, sandwiched in between the Cowboys' three Super Bowl titles. But for San Francisco, they're going in. They're obviously heavily favored against Seattle. I'll predict all the playoff games in just a second. But Brock Purdy, I think it's safe to say he has exceeded all of our expectations as the quarterback of the Niners this season. And there, this notion sort of began, I'd say, probably a week ago, and it's certainly been uh, discussed and debated throughout the national media, uh, certainly in, in the local media in the Bay Area, but just throughout the national media over the past week, about he's only played six games but is Brock Purdy the rookie of the year? And many folks out there said, oh, come on, he's only played six games, it's third of the season. He, his stats aren't going to blow you away. When they look back years from now, they'll say, ah, oh, he only played five. I don't care who this concerns or who it offends. Brock Purdy's the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. And there's an NBA comp to go by. I know it's NBA, it's a different league, but it still matters. So, does anybody remember the 2016 
17 rookie of the year race in the NBA. If you don't, that's fine. The only reason I remember is because I'm a total nerd. And I just, I don't know, it just came my head this week when I was thinking about Brock Purdy. It came down to two guys. Malcolm Brogdon of the Milwaukee Bucks and Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Joel Embiid played 31 games. Malcolm Brogdon played 75 games. So big, big gap. Brogdon played well over half of the games that, uh, or well, well over double, rather, of the games that Joel Embiid played. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But Malcolm Brogdon, what was a very good rookie season, by the way. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to poo-poo what he did. But he averaged 10 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds, 1 steal. And he shot 46% for the field, 40 from 3, 87 from the free throw line. Very good rookie season, by the way, for Malcolm Brogdon. Joel Embiid, on the other hand, who was obviously only played 31 games. 20 points, double that of Malcolm Brogdon. Eight rebounds, almost triple that of Malcolm Brogdon. Two assists, only two fewer than Malcolm Brogdon, who's a point guard. 2.5 blocks per game and .9 steals per game compared to Brogdon's 1.1. Not to mention he shot a better percentage from the field, 47%. For a big man, an excellent shooting percentage from three, 37%. And same can be said about his his free throw shooting, 78%. When people look back, when NBA historians in the 2050s and 2060s, if we can go that far ahead, I'm all about living in the present, but I'm just presenting this, presenting this as a, as a uh, scenario. If they look back, who was the 2017 uh, Rookie of the Year in the NBA? They'll look back. Malcolm Brogdon. Okay, Malcolm Brogdon. Wait a minute. Joel, Joel Embiid was, was second? He only played 31 games, but gosh, those are some, some really good numbers for a rookie. It isn't as if he played 12, 15 games. He played 31 games. That is, you know, close to the half, about 40% of the season-ish. He was better, undeniably, and objectively, than Malcolm Brogdon was. And so I ask anybody out there, is there a clear-cut offensive rookie of the year? There's a clear-cut defensive rookie of the year. That's Sauce Gardner. There's no debate about that. He, As a rookie, he was first-team All-Pro. There's no debate. Sauce Gardner's probably going to be like Micah Parsons last year and win that war to unanimously. He was outstanding. Offensive rookie of the year, the guy I picked before the season was Chris Olave, which he had, a, he had an excellent season with the Saints. There's plenty of other guys. But Brock Purdy this year in six games, five of them he started, six in relief. As a rookie, by the way, 229 yards a game, 13 touchdowns, four picks, completed 67% of his passes as a rookie, had a QBR of 65, which would be top 10 in the NFL should it qualify, and a pass rating of 107. Average pass rating of 107. Now, we can make the case, well, he's got all this talent around him. So did Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't put up these numbers. The Niners coaching staff didn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo to take shots down the field the way they do Brock Purdy, a rookie. And the bottom line is this. 
It's kind of like it's one of those uncomfortable truths that we don't like to say out loud, but we know to be true, such as one I talked about yesterday that the SEC is just head and shoulders above the rest of college football. We don't like it necessarily. I mean, I like it because I'm an SEC guy. I'm a Tennessee fan. Go Vols. But the rest of maybe the media or some fans out there don't love it, but it's 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 objectively true. They've won the last four national championships. It's not even, it's not even close. Same thing can be true here. Quarterbacks are more valuable than everybody else. Now, this is the most valuable player award, but offensive rookie of the year, if the quarterback plays pr- at least pretty well, he usually gets the award. If he plays very well, he always gets it. Dak Prescott back in 2016. I think when you talk about the impact, I mean, folks, we were talking on shows like this. When Jimmy Garoppolo went down, is the 49ers season over? I said no. I said they can still get to the NFC Championship game. I could have never envisioned Brock Purdy playing this well and them getting to the Super Bowl. I liked Brock Purdy more than a lot of people, but I never saw this coming. Throwing four touchdowns on a very good Tampa Bay defense, that's outstanding. He exceeded our expectations, and he is one of the biggest reasons we view the Niners as Super Bowl threats, as, dare I say, the favor out in the NFC. I think he's absolutely rookie of the year. Is he going to get it? I doubt it because he's only played six games, but he literally saved the 49ers season. If they got subpar quarterback play, if they got a quarterback who is 75% as good as Jimmy G, they're done. They're screwed. Their season's over. Not sure they even win a playoff game, depending on who the matchup would have been. Now, they're the two seed. They face an inferior Seahawks team. And we see them as, hey, they very well could go through the playoffs playing at home, depending on if Philly loses before the NFC title game. They could get to the Super Bowl. They did with Jimmy G, who says they can't do it with Brock Purdy. I think he's rookie of the year. Offensive rookie of the year. Let's see. Uh, Patrick Brown. Oh, I got to scratch my back a little bit. There we go. Patrick Brown says, here's something I've been thinking about. If the 49ers have a deep playoff run and now there's a quarterback dilemma, say the Indianapolis Colts make an offer for Trey Lance and a slew of picks. Uh, well, yeah, I think you do. Listen, if if they make a playoff run and get to the Super Bowl and Brock Purdy is, A, the reason that you get there, because I think it's important if a quarterback is the reason that you're in a position. Okay, that's that 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 means a lot. That's why Nick Foles run was so impressive with Philadelphia because he was throwing for 350 yards a game against Minnesota in the NFC Championship game and then against New England in the Super Bowl. Like, Nick Foles is the biggest reason the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Never thought we'd be saying that before the season, but that's what happened. If that's a similar situation with Brock Purdy, they're going to stick with Purdy. And they're going to trade Trey Lance and let Jimmy G walk in free agency and probably just find another backup quarterback. Just whoever's on the market at the time. But if he balls out in the playoffs, he's the guy. Grady Edwards says Trevor Lawrence should be rookie of the year. Yeah, I know uh, some of the media. I, I know one of my one of my favorites, uh, Nick Wright, who I you know I've jokingly called Nick wrong because he despises my Golden State Warriors. It's you know it's beautiful to watch people hate on us, but uh, he he's a big Trevor Lawrence guy, of course, and he talks about you know this is his official rookie year because he had Urban Meyer last year. He was given no opportunity to succeed. It's. I agree with that in premise in terms of he wasn't put in the position to succeed, but this is not Trevor Lawrence's rookie year. It's, and I know, I know Gray is obviously saying that jokingly. 
Patrick says, if the San, if San Francisco has their franchise quarterback in Brock Purdy, Jimmy G is the insurance policy, and Trey Lance gets a fresh start in Indy. We all know the NFL is a 24-7, 365 business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's where the NFL is very different than any other league. I mean, you can play well. Think about Carson Wentz. I've been hard on Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was, was pretty good through the first 16 games of the season for the Indianapolis Colts. But because he wet the bed against the Jacksonville Jaguars with an opportunity to send the Colts to the playoffs, they traded him. There is no league that is more of a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league than the NFL. No question about it. Grady says, no disrespect, even if the 49ers go out in round one or two, I really think Purdy has the upper hand next year over Lance if you stay the course and don't go out there and get anyone. I, I agree with that too, Grady. I think even in the limited time that we've seen Trey Lance, has he ever looked as good as Brock Purdy has in, just pick one of his starts, just pick one. Seattle, Vegas, Arizona, uh, Tampa Bay, especially his first ever start against the greatest quarterback ever to rise and shine and completely out, outplay Tom Brady. I do think he's got the upper hand. I'm saying, Grady, if he goes on a long playoff run, NFC Championship or Super Bowl, oh, he's like he's locked in. There's not even a – there could be a quarterback battle next year. And I agree with you, Purdy would have the upper hand. If he goes on some kind of crazy run, then he's, he's the guy cemented, and they probably trade Trey Lance, to be totally honest with you. Uh, Grady says, problem is Jimmy G doesn't want to be a backup. He'll be a starter next season, probably in a vet role. Yeah, you could see him going to Vegas or to uh, the Jets, team like that. I know some people float to the Giants. I would go with Daniel Jones, and I'm not a Daniel Jones fan at all, but I would, just for long-term sake and just for durability's sake, I would go with Daniel Jones over Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and I agree with you. I, I do think he'll be a starter next year. I do think Jimmy's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. But... Yeah, yeah, Brock, Brock's been better than, than Jimmy really ever has been. And he's been a bigger reason that the Niners have been successful than Jimmy G ever was. No question about it. So here we go. Uh, this is the moment we've all been waiting for, as uh, as the great Michael Buffer would say. I'm not going to say let's get ready to rumble. It's, it's not my brand. But it is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's wild card weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Matter of fact, it is super wild card weekend in the National Football League. This season, I'm just going to speak for myself, has just flown by like that. It's been incredible to watch. All the stories play out, all of the quarterback controversies and the rookie shine and the MVP race, which I think is pretty much over at this point. I think Patrick Mahomes is the guy, but... All the, the, you know, some of the coaching changes and the teams that shocked us all, the teams that disappointed us all, Denver Broncos, <laughs> Los Angeles Rams. But it's been a remarkable NFL season. I've enjoyed every second of it. But this, ladies and gentlemen, is where legacies are made. This is where you make your money. This is the opportunity. One team out of 14 will be the Super Bowl champions. And it kicks off tomorrow in Where's the kickoff? San Francisco. I had to think about that for a minute. Kicks off in the Bay Area. San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco 49ers who are hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Niners in this game are favored minus nine. Here's what I'm looking at. 
California has been hit with an absolute... I mean, California might as well be Washington State, okay? The, the rain has been throughout Southern California, especially Northern California and the Bay Area, has been crazy over the last week. And it's expected, according to multiple uh, meteorologists in that area, it's expected to continue until tomorrow during game day. So weather will be a factor in this matchup. Again, again, Niners, big favorites, minus nine. Here's the thing that I'm looking at. Both teams, Seattle and San Francisco, run the ball exceptionally well. They're, like they're both top 10 in the league in rushing yards, and both teams commit to the run as well as any team in the league. Both teams know what they are offensively. Good at quarterback, Geno with Seattle, Purdy with the Niners, but their bread and butter offensively is running the football. Defensively, uh, Niners certainly have the advantage, but they're a little bit of a cold spell. Okay, they struggle against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Gave up that one big play to start the game to A.J. Green against the Cardinals last week. But very two very old school teams, two outstanding head coaches in Pete Carroll, who certainly could be given some consideration for coach of the year, given the job he's done. And Kyle Shanahan, who's one of the best, one of the five best coaches in the NFL, in my opinion. So when you look back at it, here's what I'm, here's what I'm seeing. It is hard, hard, hard to beat a team three times in a season. The Niners beat the Seahawks in Santa Clara way back in week two. When Trey Lance was still the starter, that was the game Trey Lance actually got hurt and Jimmy G replaced him. Now it's obviously Brock Purdy, and they beat them back, and I think it was week 15 on Thursday Night Football in uh, in Seattle, and the Niners won that one. They at one point led 21-3 to before Seattle made a little bit of a rally, but the Niners pulled away late. This is a division rivalry. There's no secrets. There's no, there's, excuse me, there is nothing that, the opposition have done has, has done for either of these two squads that they haven't seen before. Pete Carroll knows what Kyle Shanahan's going to do. Kyle Shanahan knows what Pete Carroll's going to do. That's what's going to make it so interesting. I'm taking Seattle in the points. I'm taking Seattle plus nine. I'll tell you that much. Um, I could see it be a situation where the quarterbacks aren't necessarily a big focus. Uh, but to me, this is, this is the difference maker. And this is what I said on yesterday's show when I was talking about every team that has a weakness. What's Seattle's biggest weakness? They can not stop the run. The Niners can. San Francisco wins this one, 23-17 over the Seattle Seahawks. They move on to host a divisional round playoff game. We'll see who they'll, they'll face given how the rest of the NFC plays out. But the Niners kick off the playoffs with a 23-17 win over their rival Seattle Seahawks, and they will be moving on. Brock Purdy will, will break a long streak of rookie quarterbacks, by the way. I think the last 10 starts for rookie quarterbacks uh, starting their first playoff game, 1-9. and nine. So Brock Purdy looking to break a streak. I think it will be two and nine when it's all said and done. Uh, Patrick Brown says, your line should be, it's time to carve it up. Cut wisely. I like that. I like that. I like that, Patrick. My man. Uh, let's see. Patrick Brown says, both Niners and Seahawks are rain weather teams. Run game travels and can come down who's, to whose defense is capable of making that one stop. Give me the Niners in a close game. 31 to 29. Wow, that is... Okay, so Pat, Patrick's going a little bit of high scoring. I, I like that. Grady, I will get to your Aaron Rodgers comment uh, when I uh, get done because it's an interesting conversation, an interesting point uh, that I certainly want to address once I'm done making predictions. It is now time for right off the bat, ladies and gentlemen, my upset of the week. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat the Los Angeles Chargers by a final score of 27 to 24. Chargers are one and a half point favorites, but I'm going Jacksonville, Duval, and here is why. 
Chargers got some bad news this morning regarding probably the best receiver on their team, Mike Williams. He's out. He's not even going to travel with the team to Jacksonville for this game because he hurt his back in a completely meaningless game. Why, Brandon? Again, the thing that blows my mind, I'll get to this game. But Brandon Staley, you don't play your starters in the preseason because the games mean nothing. But then you play all of your starters in the last game of the regular season when your playoff spot has already been locked in, when the game means nothing, and you lose your best receiver and Justin Herbert's number one target. That's a problem for Jacksonville. This is a team that has been a little inconsistent offensively. They struggled at times, albeit against a great defense in the New York Jets, and they struggled occasionally here and there against the Tennessee Titans. They won the game in large part because of a a, uh, a strip sack of my man Josh Dobbs. Shout out to Space Dobbs. uh, That's got a scoop and score touchdown. But Jacksonville's defense in the last few games has been really good. Held the Titans to 22. That's respectable. Dak balled out on them because that's who Dak Prescott is. 34 points. But after that... A field goal against the Jets, a field goal against the Texans, and 16 to Tennessee. Now, we can say, well, the quarterback could play. It's it's Josh Dobbs. It's Davis Mills. It's Zach Wilson. Okay. But, and Justin Herbert certainly head and shoulders above those guys. I think this baby goes down to the wire. And if it does, between two quarterbacks who are going to dominate the league for the next decade and a half. Okay, they, these two guys, some of the best hair in the league. Big, tall, strong athletes, big arms, mobile. These two quarterbacks are going to put on a show for all of us in Jacksonville, Florida. The difference is coaching and situational football. One coach has won a Super Bowl. His name is Doug Peterson. The other is his first playoff appearance, and we have way more questions about his game management and really just situational awareness, and that's Brandon Staley. That, to me, decides that I could see the Chargers making a big, big mistake late offensively or defensively, or even, I hope not, I hope not for my man Cameron Dicker, Dicker the kicker, I hope he don't make a mistake and miss a field goal, but any three phases of the game, I think the Chargers will screw up because their coach tends to do that. So once again, in my upset of the week, give me the Jacksonville Jaguars by a final score, 27-24, to knock the Los Angeles Chargers out of the postseason. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously this is a team in L.A. that had Super Bowl aspirations coming in. Their season will come to an end in defeat. We have a couple. Uh, we have a few comments here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Grady, and I'll get to your Sean McVay comment later as well, Grady. But Grady says, I'd love to see Jacksonville beat the Chargers. I just would really love to see Sean Payton team up with Herbert, man. That would be awesome. And again, I, I, I by the way, I totally agree with you. Um, because if... If the Chargers lose this game, with all the talent the Brandon Staley's had in the last two years to have zero playoff wins, to only have one playoff appearance, and the only reason he didn't appear in the playoffs last year was because of clock management, situational awareness. Heck, your quarterback, they showed they put a camera on him on the sideline. See what he said? I would I would love a tie because if the Chargers game ended in a tie, they'd been in the playoffs. They were close to a tie, but Brandon Staley blew it in the end. I'm with you, Grady. A Sean Payton-Justin Herbert pairing? Look out, NFL, because that'll be lethal. Patrick Brown says, Brandon Staley should be fired. Justin Herbert has to be livid. His top receiver is out. Coaching will prevail in Jacksonville, while Brandon Staley will still find find a way to lose, sadly. Yes, I agree. That is the case. That is what will happen. It is now time for my favorite segment of the week. Who are I a betting man? I were a betting man. 
And I don't usually do this, by the way, for big favorites. But I'm sitting back and I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. These are two teams that split the regular season series. Miami won at home back in week three. Buffalo won at home back in week 15 in a snow blizzard. Two very different teams who are on very different trajectories. Miami starting Skylar Thompson. They're going to be without uh, Mostert, their running back. As for Buffalo, we know that the, the, the motivation they're playing with, huge expectations coming into the season. Super Bowl favorites in the AFC. Josh Allen in his fifth season as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And expectations that if they don't at least get to the Super Bowl, it is a failed season given all the talent they have in that roster. And by the way, given the, the head coach, uh, uh, Sean McDermott. But now, you have the added motivation of DeMar Hamill. That's why they came out and played so spirited last week against the New England Patriots. Buffalo is a massive favorite. By far the biggest favorite of this weekend. Minus 13 and a half at home. I think this game's going to be over after quarter number one. I think it's going to get that bad. Buffalo's defense is playing well. They took the ball away from Mac Jones not once, not twice, but three times in the second half of that game against the Patriots. Uh, and, and guys, you know I'm not high on Mac Jones, but he's better than Skylar Thompson. He is. I understand the weapons Miami has. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell. We know what all those guys, who they are, what they represent. Mike McDaniel's done a really good job of giving the expectations, but there's no chance of this ever happening. I, 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 I may do the show like, with my hat on backwards and a uh, my shirt inside out if the, if the Dolphins lose this game or if the Dolphins win this game. If I were a betting man, take the Bills and the uh, to cover the spread. And I don't usually do this for massive spreads, but I literally cannot see a scenario in which the Bills not only beat the Dolphins, but absolutely demolish the Dolphins. Buffalo wins this game 38-13 to over their rival Miami Dolphins. It is now time for the new segment debuted in 2000, during the 2022 season. Bryson's Bleak Bet is the one game every week that I have absolutely no confidence in predicting. But hey, we got to predict all the games because that's what we do here on the show. We put a little bit of confidence behind our picks. I think that this is the, this is the most appropriate. It's it, Bryson's Bleak Bet to start the playoffs. New York Giants, Minnesota Vikings. Vikings in this game favored by a field goal at home. Vegas is saying basically folks pick them because the home team does automatically get a field goal. So, for the Giants, they come into the playoffs as really the surprise team in the NFC. I would argue even over Seattle. Rookie head coach Brian Dable, Daniel Jones, who had struggled minorly up until this point, had a solid season this year. Uh, Saquon Barkley with a breakout year. Uh, he, you could argue he could be offensive player or offensive rookie of the year over Geno Smith. Uh, uh, no question about the job that he's done. A Giants offensive line that's improved and a defense led by Wink Martindale that has been outstanding. No question about it. Their JV team held Jalen Hurts and the starters for the Eagles to 22 points. Their backups held the Eagles to 22 points on the road. So this is a team coming in, feeling good about themselves, happy that they're in the dance, as we say. They are the typical 13-14 seed in March Madness that's just happy to be there and that are playing with house money. As for the Minnesota Vikings, very successful regular season. I had them as a 12-win team. They won't, they won up to me. They went to 13 and 4 on the year, won the NFC North going away. Kirk Cousins had one of the best years of his career. Justin Jefferson cemented himself as a top three receiver in the world. And Kevin O'Connell did wonders for this football team in terms of situational awareness and game management. The problem is both teams have glaring weaknesses. Giants are 
them at wide receiver. An argument could be made that Kenny Galladay is still their best, second best receiver, despite the fact that he has one receiving touchdown on the year. And it came last week, by the way. Made him some money doing that, by the way. For the Vikings, their pass defense is simply atrocious. Matt Jones had the best game of his career against the Minnesota Vikings. Matt Jones was amazing. Vikings have made a lot of quarterbacks this year look like pro bowlers. So you could see a scenario in which that is the case with Daniel Jones. But here's what I'm looking at. Minnesota this year is undefeated in one-score games. In their four losses this year, all of them are by at least 11 points. They lost by 17 to Philadelphia. They lost by uh, 37 to the Cowboys, 11 to the Lions, and 24 to the Packers. So when they lose, they lose bad. I simply don't think the Giants have the firepower to just mop the floor with Minnesota. They just don't have the fire, but they don't have the weapons, and they don't have the elite play at the quarterback position. As well as Brian Dable has done in putting Daniel Jones in positions to succeed, they're not that explosive. They're going to rely on Saquon Barkley and the play-action pass and the tight end uh, in the short game with tight ends. It's because it's close. I think this game, ladies and gentlemen, ends exactly, literally to a T, as the last time these two teams played in Minnesota back in week 16 with a walk-off field goal by Greg Joseph to win the game by a final score of 27 to 24 Vikings beat the Giants very successful season for uh for New York 27 24 Vikings win it over the Giants to advance to uh to the uh NFC divisional round where they will either go to well they go to San Francisco if the Niners won uh if the Giants won obviously they would go to Philadelphia in all likelihood but we will see what happens uh to the to the last game Grady says oh but people are crowning them too early they will win against Miami but it won't be so easy to get past a Cincinnati or a Kansas City I do agree with you there uh but they will certainly roll uh the Dolphins this week Grady says uh Vikings can either win the Super Bowl or crap the bed in round one you just don't know which team will show up Absolutely. This is a Vikings team that has a negative point differential, uh, despite the fact that they uh, have been, well, 13-4. and four. Patrick Brown says, I'll take the Giants in the upset. We all know Kirk Cousins is bad in primetime games. Giants 28-23. to 23. Here's the thing, though, with Kirk Cousins, Patrick. It's 4.30 kickoff, 3.30 central time in Minneapolis. It's not a night game, and Kirk Cousins has won a playoff game. Matter of fact, he's one of only three quarterbacks in the NFC Two have a playoff win in his resume. Tom Brady, obviously, that goes without saying. Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. Only quarterbacks in the, in, the, in the NFC in the postseason this year to have a playoff win. I think he will get the second of his career. And by the way, the first home playoff win of Kirk Cousins' career. Uh, will, will, it'll be, by the way, it'll also be the Vikings' first playoff win since the Minneapolis Miracle. I don't think they'll need a miracle to win this game, uh, but they will beat the Giants and literally cover the three-point spread. To the final game of the weekend, at least. The Baltimore Ravens, the Cincinnati Bengals from Cincinnati, Ohio. These teams literally just played each other last week. Bengals are favored minus nine in this game. They are big, big favorites at home against their division rival Ravens. Here's what I'm looking at. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is out for the Ravens. We've known that for a while now. He's not going to be able to go. It doesn't look like Tyler Huntley, the backup, is going to be ready to go. And so it's going to be Anthony Brown at start, uh, starting at quarterback for the Ravens. This will be the second start of his career. It comes in the postseason. We know that I mentioned the stat with Brock Purdy earlier. Probably should have mentioned with Skylar Thompson as well, but 
Rookie quarterbacks in the playoffs usually don't fare well. Okay, the only quarterback out of the last 10 to get a, a win in their first playoff game is Russell Wilson all the way back in 2012 against Washington. But he had Pete Carroll for what that's worth. Here's the thing for Cincinnati, and I'm noticing this with the Bengals over the last week or so. They are talking a lot. And by the way, I have no issue with it. You know me. I don't have an issue with you, you know, bump them gums, as they say, if you back it up. The Bengals did get the AFC title game last year and win it against Kansas City. But this is a Baltimore team that you can't just look past. I've said Baltimore can't score without Lamar Jackson, but I also said on yesterday's show, they stop teams from scoring as well. You look at the Baltimore Ravens uh, at defense ever since Lamar Jackson uh, went down the season against the Denver Broncos. Here's what the Ravens have given up uh, in their last few games missing Lamar. 10 against Denver. Uh, I'm sorry, 9 against Denver. 14 against the Steelers. 13 against the Browns. 9 against the Falcons. 16 against the Steelers. And 27 against the Bengals. We've got to realize a lot of those situations were because Anthony Brown due to some interceptions put them in a tough position. So, to me, I almost made this my, if I were a betting man game, to take the Ravens in the points. I mean, if I'll tell you this. If Lamar Jackson was playing, I'd take the Ravens in an upset. Because as, a, as, as it turns out, before the season started, I had the Bengals as the sixth seed and the Ravens as the three seed facing in the playoffs in round one. Well, they are facing in round one, but it's a reversal. Bengals are the three seed, Ravens are the sixth seed. Uh, this Baltimore defense is going to be spirited. This is John Harbaugh we're talking about. He's been there and he's done that. This is going to be a close game that Cincinnati's going to have to work for. I could see the Ravens possibly jumping out to a you know 7-0 start. Cincinnati, Cincinnati has to work for every yard they get. Bengals haven't played that well offensively over the last month. Love to earn this one. It'll be a little bit of a wake, a little bit of a wake-up call for Cincinnati going to next week, in all likelihood facing the Buffalo Bills. But I will take the Bengals to win it outright 24 to 17 over the Baltimore Ravens to advance to the divisional round in the Sunday night football game. Uh 24-17. But but I would take Baltimore and the points, but Cincinnati to win outright and advance to the divisional round. So there you go. Those are my, those are my predictions. Wild card weekend. Cowboys Bucks. I'll predict that on Monday's show since that's the Monday night playoff game. I definitely want to stay tuned for that. But let's just go back over it. I've got the Niners beating the Seahawks 23 17. But the Seahawks, uh, I, I do believe I would take them and the uh, nine points in this game. My upset of the week, I go with the Jags to beat the LA Chargers uh, in this one. In my, if I were a Batman game, it'd give me the Bills over the Dolphins 38 to 13. Bryson's bleak bet. Give me the Vikings over the Giants. Don't feel terribly confident in that, but I do think Kirk Cousins gets it done in the end. Gets a little bit of the playoff monkey off his back and wins this one for Minnesota. Uh, once again, in a walk-off field goal to beat the New York Giants. And finally, the Bengals. A little bit of a scratchy, scruffy, whatever you want to call it. Hard-fought, old-school AFC North Division rivalry type playoff game. Bengals win it, but take the Ravens and the points. Cincinnati 24, Baltimore. 17. A few comments here. Oh, Patrick says Cincinnati in a blowout. Patrick says Cincinnati 38 to 17 over the Ravens. Uh, let's see. Or he changed. No, he, he changed it then in the Patrick changed his prediction in the comments. He says this will be a close game. Ravens defense is to slow down Cincinnati's high potent offense. 28 to 17. Uh, Grady asks, uh, for some reason, Miami does get past the Bills. Is there any shot Tua comes back this year? 
It depends. I mean, I think it's a little concerning or a lot concerning that Tua suffered the concussion on Christmas Day against Green Bay. Today is January 13th, so it's been 19 days since the concussion, and he still has a clear protocol. Like, that's that's a little concerning. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he suffered the concussions in the past. Uh, I would say no. I, I think, honestly, they'd be doing him a disservice to, to, to play him. Uh, but back to your previous question earlier, though, Grady. Uh, Grady asked, do you think there's any shot Aaron Rodgers could end up in a commander's uniform next year? I really think they'll just end up drafting a guy personally. Nobody wants to go there. Uh, no, I don't see Aaron Rodgers. The one thing Aaron has always had in Green Bay is stability in the front office. And Washington does not have that at all in large part because of Daniel Snyder. Uh, but I, I do think they will take a quarterback in next year's draft or this year's draft. I think they'll probably trade up, try and get one of the, the really young, talented guys. And uh, But I, I could not see Aaron going to Washington. I think to go from Green Bay to Washington is like Kevin Durant going from Golden State to Brooklyn, to be totally honest with you. Uh, he also asked, any thoughts on all the Sean McVay hate? I heard he's coming back next year, but I don't think he's running from uh, uh, from Jack if he stepped down. Dude has nothing to prove. He wouldn't be leaving the Rams. Guy won the championship last year. Uh, yeah, no, well, I talked about Sean McVay to start the show. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he, you know, he, he, he looked at his profession. He's like, man, I enjoy doing this. I'm really good at it. Like, what, why would I stop here? So I think that's what it came down to for him. And I think the front office, Les Snead, who's a good buddy of his, sold him on um, coming back that they weren't going into a rebuild. I think that made the decision for him as well. Uh, Grady says 2012 was for court the year for quarterbacks looking back on it. Yeah. And it will. Yeah. Andrew Luck was taken first overall RG three. Russ was taken in the third round. Kirk cousins was drafted in the fourth round that year. He ended up replacing RG three in Washington. Am I missing anybody? I feel like I'm missing somebody uh, in that 2012 draft among quarterbacks. I don't know. It's not coming to my mind. I am. Lockstep with you, Patrick. If we get Bills versus Bengals, sign me up. Absolutely. Obviously, the DeMar Hamlin situation, the first go-around, uh, the match between these two became secondary. But the fact that we could get it again, looks like we probably will get that get it again. Uh, that's going to be very exciting. Some great playoff games this weekend. Looking forward to it. That is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook, Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. And be sure to like, share, comment. Hit that big red subscribe button as well. Take two seconds out of your day to do so. And hit that notification bell. Get notified anytime we upload a new video. I just did today with the Aaron Rodgers reaction from Monday's show where I was wearing the cheese head and the shades. The aviators. Felt good about myself that day. It was a very fun show. Check that out uh, on YouTube. Anytime we go live on the show, any YouTube shorts, be sure to get notified anytime we uh, put any of those out there. And be sure to subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network on YouTube. We're starting to grow this thing, man. Dare to be different, as we say at The Grid. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe to The Grid on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcast. That's where you can listen to my show. Uh, you saw Patrick Brown, The Comments, The Chaotic Sports Podcast, All Even Podcast with Barry Grant Jr., Clutch Sports Talk with Ryan Flowers, The Cowboys Can Fan Podcast, uh, and Alpha Parser Jr. with the Rocket Fuel Jets podcast be sure to check all that amazing content out amazing creators amazing guys love working with all of them and, and trying to build this thing up uh from the ground up 
the Grid Network. Be sure to check it out. Playoffs of this weekend. Here we go. Looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical and your mental health. God bless you all. Peace out. Playoffs, baby. Here we go. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.